0: And so if you would, please give attention to the word of the Lord found in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only do not use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say, then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, if you were listening there, this is one of those passages that immediately makes you question, wait, 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 what does that mean? And in this instance, I think when you read verse 16, walk by the Spirit, or verse 16, 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, it immediately makes you wonder, okay, so what does that mean? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit? You know, is this some sort of, you know, woo-woo, like sort of mystical thing? Or maybe you're sitting here and you're like, finally, this church is getting spiritual. After all that doctrine and vows that they made those elders take, let's start talking about life in the spirit. Well, thankfully, I I don't think the two are opposed to each other. But you see, the, the thing that we've been talking about the last few weeks is maybe one summary of how you could talk about what it means to walk in the spirit. So you'll see on the front of your worship program, we've been in this series called The Gospel Waltz. Right? This is a title taken from some others in our denomination, a man by the name of Bob Flayhart in particular, right, who has kind of put together this paradigm of what the Christian life looks like under this idea of the gospel waltz. But it's not new original to him. It's completely straight from the scriptures. You'll even see this idea of the gospel waltz on your kids' sermon pages that we print off once a month. And so if the image is, is behind me, what you'll, what you'll see here are these three steps of the waltz that we've been covering, and that is repent, believe, and obey. Repent, believe, and obey. And we've spent some time talking about how we can kind of get stuck in one, or maybe even at most just becoming kind of two-step Christians, you know, and we just go back and forth from believe and obey, believe and obey, right, which we would call just legalism. Or you'd go back and forth from, you know, repent and obey, repent and obey. This idea of like, ah, oh, I feel so bad, let me try harder. I feel so bad, let me try harder. Or, you know, this idea of just, ah, I repented, I believed, I'm good, right? And, and the phrase there, right, is that you just sit, sit and soak in the hot tub of grace, right? Which is, is all, all great. Now, the reason I say this is, is not original here is because, I mean, if you were to look at your kid's sermon note pages, you'll see these three things there. Sorry, thank you, and please. We say when we talk to God, we use our polite words: sorry, thank you, please. When, and this is true for the very first time you ever begin to start praying to God. But honestly, you never move beyond these three steps of sorry, thank you, and please. And sorry is just repenting, right? Thank you is believing that Jesus has died for me and being thankful for that. And then, of course, the please is, please help me to live for you. And that, you could say, is a pretty good summary of what it means to walk in the Spirit if you were to kind of look at the whole survey of the New Testament and this this concept. So the reason we've been covering this is the very first place we started, is that coming into this new year, it's so easy for the Christian life to get stuck in one of these two phases, and ultimately to get stuck in a sense of just discouragement. And so I really love the way we started this, is that the idea here is that discouragement was never meant to be the soundtrack to your Christian life, right? Of course, there are moments of discouragement, and saying sorry is up there, right? But that shouldn't be the tone of your Christian life for the entirety of it. So this morning we come to the obey step. The obey step in the gospel waltz. Some might call this fight, you know, and the reason you'd say fight is because of what you just heard read here in verse 17. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit, and the desires and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. There's this, this fight there. Or in other places, right, you'll, you'll read in the Bible where it talks about the, the flesh wages war against the spirit even, right? And there's an old man that wages war against a new man. This, this imagery goes all over. So whether you call it obey, whether you call it fight, you may be wondering, like, I mean, is this is this, this the Nike sermon? Like, everyone get out there and do it now. Like, I mean, Jeff told you you were forgiven last week, right? And what it means to really repent, what it means to really believe. All right, let's go, you know, like, volunteer for the nursery and join the Sunday Ops team. And, you know, uh, is that really what this gets to? Does it just bring us right back to, ultimately, discouragement? The whole point of this series was to say, how could we protect ourselves from self-righteousness, self-loathing, and self-reliance? And so is this just the self-reliance sermon, (laughs) but we're just going to not call it that? Well, obviously, the way I'm setting this up is, no, we want to unpack what exactly do we mean by obey in that step. What does it mean? And I'm going to be pretty simple this morning and just have one real question for you, and that is, why does a Christian obey God? Why does a Christian obey God? Then, after we look at that, we'll talk about, well, then, how might we do it if there's a pretty good reason? So why would a Christian obey God? What would maybe be some of the answers you could think of? You know, I can think of a few But I think the first one that we kind of see jump out from our text here is that the reason a Christian would obey God is because, honestly, you can't really change without obedience. And this is not just a biblical concept. This is a concept that you will see on every book and every Hudson News in the airport, right, as you walk by is, you know, you'll see Ryan Holiday's Discipline is Destiny, or Jocko Willing's Discipline equals Freedom, or the latest, Arthur Brooks and Oprah Winfrey, Build the life you want, right? It's all this concept of in order to actually change, in order to actually achieve even a level of happiness, right, you have to come under the right restrictions. That this idea of being free as it says here, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. You may think, well, isn't that opposed to like obeying? Because isn't obeying like just being restricted and being told that you can and can't do, which isn't that the opposite of freedom? I know my kids would say that, right? Um, It's always a heckler on family worship Sunday. So, right? So in that, right? How is it that we do that? I mean, so Arthur Brooks would go so far as to say the same discipline that you need for your physical health and longevity, the same discipline that you would need for a startup or to run a successful company is the exact same discipline that you need to apply to your own emotional well-being if you really want to build the life that you want, to be happy. And so, of course... This idea of being free is not opposed to obedience. It's actually saying, now God has given us a set of principles that we can come under that's actually going to be the things that set us free. And the fact of the matter is, you just can't be sure you're a Christian if you aren't obeying. You know, when you read the verse like verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law you may have a little footnote in your Bible that will take you to the text of Romans eight fourteen, where it says, and I'm sorry, there was a mishap with our slides this morning, so I don't have all the slides up here for you, so you're gonna have to listen closely. Um, but Romans eight fourteen says, for all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. All those led by God's spirit are God's sons. So it's this idea of if you're not doing it, you might not be like a true child of God. Or Matthew chapter seven, Jesus himself says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. And for those of you who know what comes after the latter paragraphs of Galatians chapter five, it gets into the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? All of those things are this idea of the things that should be growing in your life. And if they're not, well, you have some examining to do. Now, I mean, it it always, recently, right, in my my own Bible reading time, I've been struck with how Jesus handled hecklers, right? It wasn't his own kids heckling him, but... (laughs) nevertheless, right? Jesus would have people interrupt him. And it's, these are always fascinating to me, right? I love the videos on YouTube where it's like, comedian such and such destroys heckler, you know? And you're always like, ah, it's too good not to click on it, right? Um, so the, uh, the, the idea here is, right, Jesus, people would call back to Jesus. And one time, right, as I'm reading through Luke, a woman, you know, shouts out, like, blessed is the woman who, who, birthed you and nursed you and like, basically like a shout out to your mom, Jesus, right? And Jesus' response was so weird to me because rather than be like, yeah, props to my mom, you know, or like, what a great opportunity. uh, He just immediately responds with rather blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. You're like, okay, dude. Um, You know, John chapter four, Jesus is with the woman at the well, and his disciples come over, and um, they're basically like, Jesus, man, it's late. Like, you got to get something to eat. And he gives this cryptic thing. He's like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. And again, you'd be like, okay, man. Like, so for all the talk that we might have of repentance and believing the gospel and experiencing forgiveness, none of that ever erases the importance that it was always even on Jesus' mind to do the will of the Father, to be obedient. But here's the question. Are we just right back into the self-righteous, self-loathing, and self-reliant pattern that can so easily come from trying to obey God over and over and over again, and then eventually falling into discouragement? And to be honest, discouragement in many ways might be the best case scenario because, one, you might fool yourself into thinking you're doing a pretty good job obeying God, doing the will of the Father all the time. Or you might just get so despondent and depressed and think, this this Christian thing was supposed to promise me joy and life, and it was supposed to come abundantly according to Jesus, but I'm just not feeling it. So as we talk about obedience, as we see the importance of it, And we just write back to that. We see this is where I think this is why Galatians chapter 5 in particular is helpful for us to examine. Because to be honest with you, this is kind of a weird section that I've given you this morning. It's kind of I took a second half of the first section and the first half of the next section. Like those would be the ways if we were preaching through the book of Galatians, this would have been split in half probably. And yet we've sandwiched it together to bring out this point. That when you look closely at this text, I think you begin to see how the reason we obey God is found in this paradox that comes with all relationships. And that is somehow, some way, love and obedience and freedom all are intertwined and go hand in hand. So, for example, I love it. I've experienced this many times when you sit down with a guy who's newly married, right? Or maybe even just newly, new, in a new, serious, committed relationship. And you can see where it's beginning to dawn on this guy that his life, his calendar, the accountability for his whereabouts at any given time and the coordination of his schedule now involves another person. And how he begins to think that his life is just coming to an end. And he just doesn't know how to be accountable for where he's supposed to be. Right? And that he can wake up sometimes to just a bunch of text messages that's like, why didn't you text me back? Right? You see, the closer you get to somebody, the more deeply you get involved, you begin to lose your freedom. And look why you didn't you didn't text me back it's just the beginning of it. So as you get closer to this but then at the same time when do you feel the most free? When do you really feel empowered and electrified? And it's when you're experiencing the deep intimacy that comes from the relationship of another. And so freedom and obedience and love in many ways are all intertwined. And the deeper you go into these relationships, the only way you can experience more of that freedom is in many ways to experience more of the obedience. But the only way to experience more of finding yourself, even Jesus would say, the freedom of being who God's made you to be is always comes in giving up yourself. And so in each one of the Gospels, all, all four, Jesus makes this point. In Matthew chapter 16, he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever who loses his life because of me will find it. Again, we see that paradox of love, freedom, and obedience all intertwined. Mark chapter 8. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me in the gospel will save it. Luke 9, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. John 12, anyone who loves his life loses it, and anyone who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Like, just examine the process of falling in love, okay? And this could be with anything or with anyone. Maybe it's a new hobby, right? You know those guys who fall in love with golf, right? And all of a sudden, their wardrobe seems to change, and they got new polos. They got different hats. They got logos you've never seen before. You're not sure what they mean, right? But you know it was probably expensive because this guy's into golf now. And he's, he's gone out, and I mean, you could almost say he, he has hired someone to discipline him like he pays this person money to tell him how bad he is at golf. And then he spends all his time thinking about golf and all his weekends trying to play golf. Right? This is true for your friends who get into stand-up paddleboarding too, right? Or CrossFit or Jiu-Jitsu, right? This always happens. But they submit because in the submitting, they then become free to experience that maybe that one time out of 18 holes <laughs> they get to feel what it's like to hit a nice shot. Maybe. The same, same is true when you fall in love with a person. Is not? You fall in love with a person, you begin to wonder, well, what do they like? What kind of food do they like? What do they want to eat? You know, what's well, like their temperament? You begin to find out what, what, what they don't like, what might upset them. You know, uh, you'll know, you listen, you'll look for hints, you will study intently everything about this person. Why? Because coming under this person's likes and dislikes, wants, desires, you're doing that so you can experience more of them. So you can, you can experience more of the intimacy and all of that again, is this, this intertwining of love and freedom and obedience. And what seems like, man, like if, if I told you, like, hey, would you like to give up all your nights and weekends and all your money and then potentially any future plans that you may have, you'd say, like, no. But didn't I just describe getting a family and having kids? <laughs> like, so... I, this is always the way it is. And so, of course, with God, it would be no different. So it's easy to look at something like the Ten Commandments and think, okay, i got to walk by the Spirit. That means i got to stop doing the things that are tempting me to not, you know, tempting me to, to lie or to lust or to be angry. But in, And while that's not bad, that doesn't really get at what's there. You see, the Ten Commandments weren't God going, I don't know, these sound good. Like, let's just give these a shot. And this, this is probably a pretty good way to run a society. No, each one of them embodies who God is in his own character. And so you're learning how to please him. So you see, when you make that, that list of what the person loves and hates in your own life, you don't see it as a set of rules or commandments, but that is what it is. And you're willingly come into obedience of it because you want to experience more of the intimacy with that person. You see, this is this is where I'm I'm sorry I don't have this one up here because this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. In John 14. He's talking with his disciples, right? Before the last supper. And he says, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word." My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him and make our home with him. Now, it's easy to look at that and go, all right, I better follow what Jesus says so that God might come and make his home here. Well, One, that's just not how homes work, right? Like, you move in no matter the state of it. Like, when you get the home, it's yours, warts and all, Right? So it's not like Jesus is like, yeah, fix it up, and then maybe we'll think about moving in. No, that's what the last two weeks have been about, is that's not how it works with God. God is saying, I'm moving in, and I'm fixing the place up. And guess what? If you really want to experience a life that we could have here together, you'll you'll join me in this project. Now, that won't always feel great. It does not feel great to start knocking out walls and fixing the plumbing and having exposed wires But God is going to get inside each one of us and go through that process. But you see, in that process of obedience, that's how we experience more and more of him. And when it comes down to it, this is the only hope that any of us has. Because when God says, here's what you should do with your money, and you think about all the other things you could do with your money, and you're wondering, well, I mean... I can have it both ways, can I? Like, I can just do whatever I want with my money, and then I can just go to God for forgiveness if I need to. Or, you know, maybe just think, like, God, that's how it is. Or when it comes to your relationships, and what God says about relationships begins to contradict what you want, you could say, I can have it both ways, can I? But you see, in one sense, yeah, the gospel does free you to live any way that you want. But if you really understand the gospel, it will begin to change what you want. And that's why we obey. Because look, you, you can obey without love. You can kind of go through the motions mechanically. But there is no way you can fall in love and experience the depth with God without true obedience. And the gospel sets us free for that. The gospel says us free so that we don't have to walk by the Spirit anymore. This is why that terminology is there. If you were to look at verse 16 and verse 18 and put them one on top of the other, you would see this parallel. Walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. Then verse 18 says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so somehow there is a parallel between what it means to be not under the law And to not carry out the desires of the flesh. And that's exactly this paradox that I've been describing for you. It's this paradox of love and freedom and obedience intertwined together. That you are not under the law. You can live any way that you want. But when you understand that what God has done to make it so that you are no longer under the law, You will not face its penalty. He will not reject you. He will make his home with you, and he has made his home with you. When you understand that, it changes what you want. This is why Romans 8.14 said, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. So if that's why to obey, and we could talk about this over and over and over again, and we talk about this all the time, like, well, if, if you tell people they can live any way they want, you know, doesn't that just mean, and there's no fear of punishment, won't they just, how how will people ever live holy lives and do the right thing? But this pushes us again to ask, look, if the only reason you were doing the right thing is because you were worried about God punishing you, then you were controlled just by fear and your own selfishness, which ultimately is just the desire of this flesh. You weren't controlled by the desires of the Spirit, which is to understand how deeply loved you are. Okay, so, that's why we obey God. Like, how do we do it? How do we do it? Now, we could go through the Old Testament, maybe, and you, we could do, like, what the Pharisees did, and they kind of scratched out, what are all the laws? And there's a, it's over, like, 600, depending on how you count. And there was always debate exactly how many were there. You know, was that, a, was that a two-part law, and so it's really A and B, or is that one and two? So we could... We could Go through all that, but we're given the answer here because Jesus gave us the answer, and that is the law is fulfilled in one statement love your neighbor as yourself. And so, in many ways, love is the locus for obedience. And it's what we've been talking about all morning how this is all intertwined. But because this is family worship Sunday, and I haven't had any great stories or awesome jokes yet so far in the sermon, let me close with this. All right. I'm reminded every time we talk about obedience of George MacDonald's little novel, The The Princess and the Goblin. And the idea is this princess um, discovers that she has a a great-great-grandmother living up in the attic, and it's kind of magical, and the grandmother gives her a ring and says, if you're ever in trouble, put this ring under your pillow, and when that happens, with the right finger, you will be able to grab and you'll feel a string. Follow that string. It will lead you to me. This is what she says. But remember, it may seem to you a very roundabout way indeed, but you must not doubt the thread. Of one thing you may be sure, that while you hold it, I hold it too. That while you hold it, I hold it too. And so of course, right, the goblins attack the castle, right, she does the thing, the string appears, she starts to follow it, but it starts to lead her not to upstairs where she last saw grandmother, but it leads her out and into the hills and into danger and into dark territory, and she begins to doubt whether or not she should hold it, but of course, as she turns around, as she looks different ways, she can't find the string anymore, the only way she can continue to follow the string is to continue to go forward, Now, of course, this works out because then, you know, it takes her to this pile of rocks, and she thinks it's a dead end. She begins to undig through the the rocks where she finds her friend was trapped in there, right? And the whole thing's this big, big happy ending, and that all sounds awesome. But the fact of the matter is, there will be times where you follow the string, and you will just run into rocks. And you'll spend maybe years or a lifetime... Rock after rock after rock, wondering what good could have ever come of this. But you see, I love the line, when you hold on to it, know that I hold it too. Because it speaks to the story of the entirety of the Bible. That Adam and Eve were told to hold the string, and they didn't. And then Abraham Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, all the kings, they were all told to hold the string, and they couldn't. And things kept coming unraveled and have always unraveled for God's people. And we've always wondered, is God still holding the other end of the string? And what's God gonna do? Until Jesus steps on the scene. And this is why I think those statements from the crowd and his his off-the-cuff comments make sense because the whole time he was here, he was holding on to that string. That whole time, he's always thinking. So when a woman gives a shout-out to his mom, his first thought is, no, 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 bless the the people who obey God because that's what's on his mind is I have to do the will of my father, right? His friends are like, man, come on, you're hungry. Let's get something to eat. And he's like, "Uh, my food is to do the will of God. His whole life He's constantly holding on to this string. And then at the end of it, it's not rocks, but it's the cross. And yet he followed that string to the cross for you. And he never, ever let go. And I love the way the Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, where it says, it wasn't the nails that held him there. It was love. That Jesus entered into that paradox we all exist in where love and obedience and freedom all intermingle and he never let go of the string. So that you and I, who are really good at letting go of the string, we can follow it not to a cross, but we get to follow it to a table. And then we get to follow it through this table to that heavenly table where we will one day eat with him face to face, having given up our life so that we can find it in him. So as we come to this table, we come to the one who holds the string for us, who said, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So let's pray. Father, we come to you now thankful for the ways in which you have never let us go. You have entered into the life. You've held the string for us. And so strengthen our hands. Give us the faith and the resolve and the love and the desire of the Spirit so that we would walk in obedience to you. The one who was obedient to the point of death for us. Amen.